0: This episode of Disney Film Project is brought to you by the letter A, the number three, and touringplans.com. Check out the new optimized touring plans. If you go on your phone and use the lines application while you're in the parks, the touring plans will update automatically based on the latest data. It's the coolest thing ever. you got to check it out. Check out the lines application and the new optimized touring plans over at touringplans.com. They are the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the program where we discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company, from their earliest shorts all the way through the latest Pixar, Marvel, Disney, DreamWorks film that's out in theaters now. Go catch it. I don't know which one it is. Just pick one. uh, I'm your host, Ryan Kilpatrick. Or all, exactly. All of them. Uh, I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick. Uh, I run DisneyFilmProject.com, the website. soon to be followed by DisneyFilmProject.com, The Lunchbox, and DisneyFilmProject.com, The Bedsheets. You can go there and check out all of our fun wonkery about Disney films and all that sort of stuff, uh, From posts from myself, as well as my fine feathered compatriots, such as Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at TouringPlans.com, Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works over at OnTheGoInMCO.com, and I believe owns Google.
1: And I can tap dance.
0: This is what I've heard. No, Which not would really. be relevant. That would be relevant to today's film. Our other fine film buff is Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can read over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Go check her out. Usually on Monday afternoons or Tuesdays, you can read her blog about this film. Normally, she would join us on the podcast itself. However, she is working hard to make some cash in, and set a move down to Florida. So she will rejoin us as soon as that situation is resolved. Meanwhile, we have the best producer in the business, one Ms. Cheryl Perlmutter, who is a blogger and writer over on the go on MCO.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Cheryl P3, or you can check her out about.me slash Cheryl P3. How are you today, Ms. Cheryl?
2: I'm doing good.
0: Glad to hear it. I' like to see I, I like it when you're doing good, me too, because that generally means you'll go easy on us
2: not necessarily yeah, that's true.
0: all right, so today we Saludos amigos yay 19, 1942 animated feature uh, produced by the Walt Disney Company, and calling it an animated feature is a large stretch of the term Yes,
1: very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because more than a third of it is not animated. So
0: yes. Uh and the the parts that are are were not intentionally made for feature films. Uh this this movie is 42 minutes long. So again, calling it a feature a bit of a stretch.
1: Right. Uh so here's here's what Ryan's talking about. I wrote some stuff down. Can you believe it? I did. I I'm swear. shocked. I I I swear I did. Uh so what is it? So uh the first short uh Lake Titicaca is seven minutes long, okay? Correct. Then uh Pedro is seven minutes long. Then hang on, looking, looking, looking. Um
0: oh, Gaucho Goofy?
1: Gaucho is eight minutes long. And oh, um Aquilaria de Brazil is seven minutes long also. So if you add all that up, it's uh not even thirty minutes out of the forty two minutes, so there's like thirteen minutes that are live action, so to speak.
0: Yes. All right, so there is a lot of uh, Disney history behind this short this short film, uh as I'll call it, uh that we need to dig into in order to help you understand what the movie is is there for. Uh so so everybody take get their time machines ready. And we're going to go back in time. Easy time. Yeah, I was going to say not Todd's time machine, but but your your imaginary Wayne's World style time machines. <laughs> 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 yes. And we're going to go back to 1941, when the United States was not currently in World War II. Uh, But if you were in the government at that time, you kind of knew that eventually we were going to get into World War II. And if we were going to do that, we wanted to have as many people on our side and not on the side of Germany as possible. Makes rational sense, right? Yes. And especially our neighbors to the south in South America – We did not want them to be on Germany's side and help Germany get troops and ammunition and whatever else into South America in order to attack the United States. Yes,
1: because Mexico is a land bridge to the United
0: States basically,
1: not entirely. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean just it is
0: (laughs) Yes, physically. By by case of geography, that is the truth. So the the United States government, the State Department under um, Nelson Rockefeller – whom you might know from if you, if New York or if you grew up in the '60s and, and, and followed presidential politics, Nelson uh, was appointed the coordinator of Inter-American Affairs, which basically involved trying to make friends with the countries of South America. Uh, and he had some spectacular failures at this job. There were some very poor expeditions to South America, because the folks that Nelson sent down did not know the culture. Uh, they did not know the people, and therefore they managed to offend without even half trying. So come 1941, he was looking for another way to make favor with the folks of South America and turned attention to one Mr. Walter Elias Disney, who he might be familiar with. Nah. <laughs> Heard him. Who's <laughs> that guy?
2: That guy there. Yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, so... They, they, what they wanted to do was send Walt as sort of a goodwill ambassador under what they're calling the good neighbor policy. And they wanted to send Walt and a team of artists down to create short subjects, seven to eight minute films, that would be focused on the art and cultures of each individual country. So, for example, a seven minute short on Brazil or an eight minute short on Chile. that they would then send to those countries to show, see, we Americans understand you, and we love you, so join us and not the Nazis.
1: As opposed to the problems that they had with the Greeks and Hercules?
0: Correct. Okay. (laughs) Seems like, in retrospect, a very silly sort of thing. Right? Sort of,
1: yeah. It's (sighs) – so I'm not going to talk to any particular feature just yet… But when I watch the, um, the live-action portions of them, I feel like three minutes about the place isn't even enough for a travel diary. Right. And half of each one is – half of each of those three to four minutes is actually spent on uh, the art that they drew and not actually on the place. I mean like, like – you can ask Cheryl. It's like every sentence is a thing. And I feel that these things are important, but I kept having to pause to write them down and, like, potentially, like, look them up and understand what they even were because I've not been to some of these places. Right.
0: So that's that's actually a very valid point. So this movie was not designed to be shown in America. That's an important thing for people to realize. Even when it was put together as a feature film, it was not supposed to be shown in America. It was supposed to be exclusively shown in South America. So the people watching it would have understood everything, whereas the folks in America, such as you and I, are probably watching this and going, excuse me, what now? (laughs) Okay,
1: but so why did they ever end up releasing it in the U.S. then at all?
0: Because it made a lot of money in South America.
1: Oh, okay. I I, I guess that's fair. I mean – it's five no, it,
0: it honestly, it, it premiered in South America in August of 1942. It did not come to the States until 1943. Right. So the, the whole thing was this film was taken on a sort of a roadshow around South America to show the people of South America that the Americans you know, did this Goodwill tour. Because not everybody saw Walt and his team while they were there. And the whole purpose was to show that, you know, we did this tour and we understand your culture and your film. And by the way, it worked spectacularly. People were, yes, in South America. People were falling all over themselves to see this thing. It just, I mean, it could not have been a bigger success.
2: So basically, this is the carousel of progress of South America.
0: Without any actual progress, yes.
2: Okay.
1: Or, or the South American
0: <laughs> Showcase. Yeah. I mean, the, so originally the idea was they did a lot of research and looking into things before the, the team left. So the, the tour itself took place in 1941 with Walt and about 20 musicians, composers, artists, etc. And they, they flew down to South America and spent uh, several months down there. And this was during the time, if you recall, that there was a big strike at the Walt Disney Studio – Yes. So this was sort of Walt's way to escape all of that because he did not want to deal with that.
1: Oh, I thought plus was, was did his brother kind of say, "Go get out of here." Yes. Okay. I yeah. thought I had. I thought I had read that somewhere.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was sort of one of those things where all the planets aligned, and it was like, "This is perfect. You go do this, and I'll deal with the labor strike." Right. So they all went down there and were huge hits, but they did so much research before they left on the culture and proper ways to greet and proper ways to interact with people that they were they were anticipating being greeted poorly because of, you know, the United States standing in the world at the time and, and all the sorts of things that happened before with these trips that Rockefeller had organized. But when they heard it was Walt Disney coming down, Mickey Mouse was so popular in South America, like people were reading him at the airport with huge rallies. I mean it could not have been more successful.
1: Okay, uh, so I, I, I have a bit of confusion on release dates. So I, I get the, the um, release date for uh, when it was released in Rio de Janeiro in 1942 and again in the US in 1943, but the, sor- the shorts themselves also have individual release dates –
0: Right, was, they were later re-released. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, because, uh, like, what is it, the um, the Brazil one, uh, Aqual... Aqu- Aqualario... Aqu-
0: Aquarela de Brazil.
1: Aquarela, yes, yeah, see, I have really problems with that. It uh, was 1942, right? And then um, Gaucho Goofy and um, the... Um, Pedro one. We're in nineteen forty-three, but Lake Titicaca wasn't released separately until nineteen fifty-five. Correct. So, what was the reason for the delay on Lake Titicaca? Was there any particular reason?
0: No, it fit into the the way the Donald Duck shorts were at the time in nineteen fifty-five. That's all. The others, like um, the the other stuff, like uh, Pedro and um, El Gaucho, Goofy, and those were the release dates you're looking at are actually when they were released individually in South America.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. That's unclear, so yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Whereas Lake Titicaca, although it does feature a lot of things from that region, it wasn't necessarily specific to it. And there was, so from this trip, again, the idea was to create a bunch of shorts, and these were the first four that were completed. But there were others that were released beforehand. But when they decided to make it a feature, you know, they, there were others released, you know, before that. Um, there's there were several. There's Pluto and the Armadillo. There's um, the Pelican and the Snipe. Stuff like that that was released uh, short subjects before this came out in South America.
1: Ah, okay, okay, yeah. interesting. Um, now, did it? It didn't do as well in the U.S. You said, right?
0: Uh, it, no, it didn't make as much money in the U.S. as it did in South America, but uh, the other thing you have to remember at this time is the government was paying for parts of these shorts, so this okay. is this is basically a contract, and Disney – at the time World War II broke out, even though the United States was in the war, Disney had a bunch of money overseas from the release of Pinocchio and Fantasia and Snow White, and they – you know they had built the studio based on the the grosses of snow white and then they couldn't get some of this money back from overseas so they had to have money coming in and south america was a market they hadn't tapped into as much so another part of this tour was walt would go to all the premieres of fantasia in south america and that boosted the grosses of fantasia helped with when this film came out so you know the south america market really helped you know, subsidize the studio as well, as well as the federal government loan guarantees on these films.
1: Okay. Now, later on, because um, Dumbo is also a short feature, this was actually double-billed with Dumbo on its release? Is that true? Right. Okay. It, it,
0: sometimes, yeah.
1: Sometimes, okay. Not all yeah, time.
0: Yeah, right. It was when they were re-released. They were uh, both re-released in 1949.
1: Okay, that's what it is. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Not, not in the initial run of Dumbo, but yeah, in the re-release it was. Oh,
1: okay.
0: So we mentioned the four pieces of the of the film. There's four shorts that make up the, the actual animation. There's Lake Titicaca, which is a Donald Duck short that talks about Peru and Bolivia. There's Pedro, which is supposed to represent Chile, and there's some controversy about that. Uh, El Gacho Goofy, which represents Argent- Argentina, and of course Aquarela de Brazil, which represents Brazil. So Originally, these were supposed to be featured in reverse order to mirror the the way the trip actually went. So when they did the trip, they went to Brazil, then Argent- Argentina, Argentina, sorry, uh, <laughs> Chile, and then Bolivia and Peru. Uh, but since Aquarela de Brazil turned out to be the best of the shorts, Walt actually reversed the order so that it's the climax of the film.
1: Okay, I mean it, and it's literally the climax. So, we're watching last night, and after um, Donald and Jose are done dancing, um, and it flashes the end up on the screen, Cheryl's like, what? They're not even going back to the people <laughs> on the airplane? <laughs> She's like, just done. We're out of here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, because you got to remember, like each of these shorts was completed before they made it into a feature film. And they didn't go back and recut them because they didn't have time, because under the contract they had to get something out. So, like, for example, there's one frame cut from those four shorts from when they were individually completed, and that's the title card to Pedro, which was Pedro writing his name in the sky. Other than that, these are exactly the way they would have been released separately into theaters. Okay. And that live-action footage... So the, fil- the film basically, quote-unquote, chronicles this trip that we just talked about that Walt and his animators took. Yes. The problem is the people on the plane, they show everyone getting on a plane and flying off and all that kind of stuff. That was all filmed on the Walt Disney Studio lot. <laughs> That's not real footage.
1: Yeah, so – and, and you, know, you know how you know? Because nobody actually wears their suit and keeps their suit buttoned the entire time they're in a seat, in a, in a.
0: <laughs> so so here's here's the funny thing about that, they're actually wearing the exact clothes that they wore on the plane. Walt made them go back and get the clothes <laughs> that they wore on the trip, but they're not. You're exactly. Right. They're not. Wear, they're they're like all buttoned up and everything. As opposed to, like, if you see shots of them actually on the plane, you're just like, – they have the suit jacket thrown over the side and all that kind of stuff.
1: Right. I mean that's, that's the thing is when you see the candid shots of, like, Walton stuff like that from this time period, right, they've always got their jackets over their shoulders or their sweaters on. And these guys are head to toe, and we're supposed to believe that they're sitting there sketching, and I've never seen an artist not roll up his sleeves when he sketches. Right. And certainly yeah. not wear a suit. So it, it's it's – it's very stoic, but I understand why, because from our perspective, where we are today, it's, it looks ridiculous. But in the 40s, people kind of expected that sort of thing from people that they were watching in a movie, right? Because, I mean, right. Cary Grant always wore his suits buttoned up, right? He never, he never broke form in a movie, right? That's, that's the sort of thing that's going on in this time period. So you have to take all that into consideration.
0: Yeah. So the film, the film opens, and we see them take off in the plane, and then it cuts to an animated piece that kind of shows the direction of the journey. And before we really get much of anything, we go to the Bolivia and Peru section, where they show some shots. So the shots that you see there uh, of the there's a there's a basket looks like a basket weaving boat or a boat that looks like a basket basically uh, on this Lake Titicaca in Bolivia, uh, and then all the people that was all shot for a documentary that disney was going to make to show to the other countries documenting the journey so while they were on this trip they had 16 millimeter footage rolling and they created this south of the border with disney um 30 minute documentary and so that stuff's all true but you notice the quality of it's really poor because it was never intended to be released theatrically it was just supposed to they were supposed to take it on a little road show in, in South America to show the heads of state and et cetera that, you know, look, we did this wonderful thing.
1: Oh, okay. So this the, yeah. you're talking about the whole part where they're talking about how wood is scarce and they make yes. the boats from balsa wood, that whole thing. Okay. I right. I, I, I kind of sort of took some, some vague notes here. Um, I found I, I found it interesting. So a lot of those cities don't look – um nearly as nice as they do today as they uh did then today right they're kind of sort of you know they've kind of sort of fallen because those countries have uh have money issues and stuff like that but it's really they're really nice pretty places and i kind of sort of you know forgot that not having mostly having watched the animated segments of this in the past several years and not having been through the whole thing in a while right Mm -hmm. and um so you, you kinda of sort of you move away from that, but I liked um the, the comment about they, they talk about the bright colored clothes and the conservative hats and the women are wearing like bowler hats.
0: Yeah, that's
2: correct. Wow bowler hats.
1: I, I thought the llama thing was funny. Uh so why so they show I they get they go on the burrows, right, and they show the they tell moving haystacks and they show their burrows and then they have this position that llamas are stuck up and I didn't really I didn't even get the feel from that for that.
0: I'm not sure i'm not sure you're getting the point of the movie here Todd, because it's not supposed to make sense to you it's supposed to it's supposed to be it's it's basically there to show that it, without without being crude about it it's there to check boxes right like see we went here and there were llamas check there were, oh, okay. see here's the lake check right cause the, i i you
1: know I have to keep in mind what you said at the beginning, which is that this is not really made for me. An American viewer, this is made for someone from the location that it's being shown. i, I, I got to get that straight in my head.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's. Let's put it this way. It is not an example of good storytelling
1: no, in the I, least. I, well, honestly, I think the pictures speak much more than anything that's being said in the movie.
0: Yes. Right? I, I would completely agree with that.
1: Because when you see the pictures that they're drawing and it becomes the animated feature that you see following – it That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And okay. I think that's the whole point, right? Because this, other, this bridge footage was not supposed to ever be shown to the public. So the reason they put it in the film and they have Fred Shields narrate all the different segments is to provide some sort of bridge between the animated pieces. And it's very awkward, to say the least. But the idea is, like I said check the box that we saw this, we saw this, we saw this. Now, see, we sketched that, and from those sketches, because they did, they sketched everything while they were there. And from those sketches came this animated cartoon that we're about to show you. And that's pretty much all you have to take away from that.
1: Right. And I guess this is this is the problem I have, right, is it's one thing to mix animation, right, with with live action, and don't get me wrong, because I think, like a, on uh, you know, you know, wonderful world of color, this this works fine, right? Is when the narrator int- introduces it and then they go right to the, the the short, and you're expecting it to be a short. But I kind of feel I get taken out of the animation, and the animation seems out of context from everything else. And I guess that's just I'm supposed to feel that awkwardness. is what I'm getting.
0: Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily you're supposed to feel that awkwardness. I think I think basically. They were just they. They wanted you to watch each of the four shorts, and that's that's the important piece. Everything else in between is just a filler to make this a feature length, quote unquote film.
1: Oh, because right, it would only be like right, because we already figured out it would only be like twenty nine minutes long or whatever it is.
0: Right.
2: Okay. Let me ask some questions. And- sure. Cause I okay, so they, I know they weren't ever supposed to show us, but. I recall seeing parts of this before. So yeah. was this, was this was shown on Disney Channel, you know, I believe at some point, like, maybe during Ozzy and Harriet, or during the vault, you know, the, the old vault Disney stuff that they used to do, like, after, like, yeah. 10 o'clock, they used to do, like, vault Disney, instead of, you know, repeating the old shows they were on, they would just, you know, sh- start showing stuff that they had in the vault. So, like, like the animator scene. I recall that before. So, um... Am I... So, why were they... If we weren't supposed to be showing this, why did they show it to us? Is it because it was us archives, or... Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, they they released it as a feature film, like I said, because they made a lot of money with it in South America, and they wanted to do, make some money off of it in North America. But then... And the other reason, frankly, that they released it in North America is because Nelson Rockefeller wanted to show the world that what he'd done was somewhat of a success, and he owned stock in RKO Pictures, which was the Disney's distributor at the time. So yep. a lot of it was political, too. Uh, but then from that point forward, they kind of had this, and they cut it up a million different ways to use it on Disney Channel, to use it on Wonderful World of Color, to use it, you know, wherever – it just became part of that stuff that you would see, you know, chopped up, a hundred different ways. Sort sort of like all the package features did, you know, all, like Ichabod and Mr. Toad. How many of us saw Ichabod on Halloween night for years and years on Disney Channel? I know I did.
1: Yeah, and you almost but, never see
0: Mr. Toad. Yeah, yeah, and it was the same thing with this. Like, you know, if they had a way to, you know, I I remember seeing Pedro years and years and years before I ever saw this whole film.
1: Yeah, Pedro you see all the time, and in fact, you know, like even um, Aquilaria de Brazil. did I get that right finally?
0: You sure did.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, So the dance scene, right, the tap dancing when they're walking down the wavy line street, which we haven't gotten to yet, but just mention it quickly, that just that portion of that, it's like, you know, two and a half minutes long, plays and plays and plays all the time.
0: Yeah, they often split Aquarela de Brazil into two pieces based on songs that are in the background, because we'll talk about it when we get to that piece of the short, but that was two separate ideas they merged into one, in case you couldn't tell. Aha. I actually
1: couldn't so, tell. But-
0: really? Well, it, it, when you Once you know, you'll never be able to see it the same way again. But we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, so the first short is the Tidikaka, as we mentioned. So it has a brief introduction that we sh- we've we talked about with live action, showing basically in live action all the things you're about to see in the short. That's kind of the purpose of the live action footage. They sort of engineered it backwards. They had the short, and they said, okay, in this short we're going to have a llama, we're going to have this basket reed woven boat, and we're going to have the lake and... We're going to have some people sitting by the lake, you know, by their shops. Okay, so we're going to show the footage of that beforehand to show that we didn't mess up.
1: And we'll throw Donald in.
0: Yeah. So, and there's a very specific reason why, why Donald Duck is in this, why Goofy is in this. Part of the things that had come out in the previous uh, Good Neighbor trips is that sometimes when Americans tried to show the culture of South America – it felt like they were making fun of it. So the whole reason they have Donald Duck and have him be the butt of the joke is so that they can show they're not making fun of the South American culture. In fact, it's just the opposite. The tourist, you know, the American tourist is the one who's who doesn't understand, not vice versa.
1: Okay. And because Donald is so contrary, that's a good way to handle that, I guess. So.
0: Yeah, and that's why. And that the other reason, the other thing is, Donald at this point was more popular than Mickey Mouse in, in the forties. You know, he was their most popular character. And by using him and making fun of him, it was obvi- it was an obvious way to show the folks in South America, like you know, we we're in this with you. We're not making fun of you. you know, this is this is a partnership sort of thing. Um, but the short shows this this Donald Duck uh, visiting the lake. In fact, it opens with the. A, a still subject that shows uh, Donald sitting on top of the sign to Lake Titicaca, which was done by Herbertman. who if you've ever seen any of the, the portraits of the parks um, he's most famous for those uh, he was on the trip and he painted that as sort of a concept piece and from there went the, the whole short, um, but we see Donald and his, he takes the tour of the lake uh, in one of the boats, gets blown around the lake, uh, visits some of the locals, switches clothes with them and then it has a rather hilarious three and a half minute encounter with a llama. I think is the best way to sum that up.
1: <laughs> An encounter with a llama? I, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. So the whole snake charming thing is kind of sort of like semi not real. Am I supposed to really believe that that we have llama charmers? Yes. I, I have a hard time <laughs> with this. <laughs> First of all, they don't show it, right? So it's, it's – I, right. I just thought it's an anim- animated gag. It's not, like, supposed to be a real thing, right? No, it's real. They're
2: a llama charters. At acor-
0: least according to what I read and, and, and as I showed you, I have a big, thick book about this, this I, whole program.
2: Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to conference some <laughs> from i i i
1: want to see some llama llama jig that's what i want to see
2: okay so i'm not
0: sure that the llama charmers in in peru can actually get the llamas to dance but if you notice they have them you know stand up or sit down yeah according to according to what i read, that part was true and then they kind of extrapolated it from there i guess See, that's the problem, that's kind of the problem with this movie, with reviewing this movie somewhat, is it's just meant to be a collection, like, each of the shorts is sort of a collection of gags layered onto tiny pieces of the culture they pick back, so there's really no story here. Pedro has a story, but the others do not.
1: Yeah, this is just Donald stick over and over again, I, I do get that, but it's kind of sort of, at the same time, it's like, if you're gonna throw something in, I, I just, I don't get the reference of it, but it's... It's fine. I get it. There are llamas in Peru, and apparently they're stuck up, and, you know, and And let's stick Donald with him because that's a good mix.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's a funny short. Like, if you just watch that, that piece without the before and after pieces, the live-action sequences, if you just watch the cartoon, it's funny.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not fond of the llama dancing. I think once he starts traveling with the llama, I kind of dig that because that's more classic to me. Yeah. Okay, you know, like the whole the whole bridge sequence is I that's how I appreciate Donald is is Donald messing up and scrambling and not really ever solving his problem.
0: Yeah, just making things worse.
1: Right. That's you know, that's I what I like about Donald. And the the beginning thing, it just it kind of sort of wore on too long, the dancing llama thing bugs me. Sorry. Maybe I just don't like Uh, dancing llamas.
0: Maybe maybe you're just a llama hater.
1: Ah uh, yes, llamas. Could be.
0: You just don't like llamas.
1: No, I don't know. You, you know <laughs> what? You know what? I expect them to have two heads because I like Dr. Doolittle. Just saying.
0: There you go. Fair enough. But uh, th- this whole this whole piece, you know, this Lake Titicaca sequence is really, you know, like I said, you can re- you can watch it outside of the film as just a regular old Donald Duck cartoon. But if you lived in that area, if you lived Peru, you recognized some of the culture of the area, and, and that was kind of the whole point, right? Is that the folks in that area would recognize the culture but still be able to relate to it through Donald Duck. So, the next piece of the film, after, after Lake Titicaca, is Pedro, which is the story of a small airplane in Chile, uh, flying over the Andes Mountains to retrieve the mail, and then return the mail back to Chile. Uh, and it This one was definitely one that uh, caused a lot of controversy because the folks in Chile basically said that there is no part of Chilean culture in the film. And they would be completely right about that.
1: Okay, so I just thought people were really into male in Chile, so that makes me feel better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the film – this is one where they – had to get it done quickly, and they took a bit of a shortcut, because before they left on the trip, there was a film in the works uh, called P.O. Tool that had the same exact story, uh, and it was a small plane, just like Pedro, uh, who was named after the letters on his chassis, P.T.O. 2L, P.O. Tool. Oh, okay. And they basically they basically just changed the name of the plane from PD Tool to Pedro, and changed the setting from the United States to Chile, and kept everything else the same. (laughs) Really? So the Chileans, yes, the Chileans had had a bone to pick with this one. I would agree with them.
1: Well, that's that's crazy, because that's not how it's presented, right? I mean, they present it like this is something that they saw, and they drew, and they did it all on, on their trip. So that's interesting, that little story. I like that. I've never heard that before.
0: yeah. So, I mean, they definitely adapted it, right? They, they, they put the Andes Mountains in there and, and the, the names of the cities and all that kind of stuff. The film had not been animated before they left, right? So it was definitely affected by what they saw in Chile. But there's no, like, for example, we talked about in Lake Titicaca, there's the llamas, there's the boats, there's all these things that were actually seen on the trip. In this case, there were not, right, except for the city of Mendoza where he picks up the mail and the, and the mountain ranges. Those were there. But yes. you could have seen that on a map. You didn't have to go to Chile to get it done,
1: right? And and the thing about Aconagua and uh, the the statue of Christ that's the, on the border between the two countries in the middle of the Andes—that's all—it's real. I looked that stuff up, so you can find that stuff. Yeah. But but you're but I don't that depiction of Aconcagua. I, I sorry Aconcagua, right? Sorry, I gotta yes. run to pronounce it. Do you, they they um. I don't know why they think it's it. They make it like this big pointy peak, and it's not. It's like kind of sort of like a very, you know, America's mountain where they where they tend to be much more rounded on the top rather than pointy. And I'm not yes. sure why they depicted it that way. It reminded me a lot of um, Fantasia.
0: Yeah, well, right. with good reason because most of the folks who worked on it were the same folks. I mean, um, Bill Taitla, who worked on Chernobyl uh, worked on Papa Plain okay. in, this, in this piece and contributed some to Aconagua and some to the rest of the feature. And then, like, Fred Moore, who did the cherubs and things in Fantasia, he did the character design for Pedro. Okay. So it was it was definitely a lot of the same artists, you know, designing this piece. And... One of the original ideas for, for this film and for all of these, you know, South American shorts was to do something called the Pan American Symphonies, which was basically take a piece of music from each country and create a Fantasia esque, you know, feature film out of that. It didn't go that way, but you can see where it kind of ended up similar to that. Especially when you get to three caballeros, that's basically what that film is.
1: Yes. So three, I agree. Three Caballeros um, is much more oriented towards the music, whereas here the music is all for mood.
0: Yeah. So the story of Pedro, in a nutshell, Pedro is the little plane. There's a Papa plane a Mama plane. Uh, and Papa goes and gets the mail, but Papa gets a cold. Mama can't go get the mail, so Pedro has to fly over the mountains to Mendoza, pick up the mail, and then fly back over the mountains. But he has to work with you know all the ups and downs of the air currents and, of course, the menace of Akanogwa Akana- Akana- Mountain, which I'm not really sure how the mountain standing still was such a menace, but it was, according to the film. I,
1: I I get the feeling they must have met somebody and been told a story about the mountain, and they were trying to depict that, but because that wasn't translated to us, that probably literally got lost in the translation.
0: Yeah, I think so. So he, he manages to, to fly through the, through the storms. It looks like we get another fake dizzy death. It looks like Pedro ran out of gas and, and falls to Earth. Yep. Uh, but in fact, he crash lands back at the airstrip, and it's revealed that what is in his mailbag is a postcard that says, we're having a great time. And it's signed by uh, a gentleman who, the name, I can't forget the name, I believe it was, uh, is it Jose Campos or something of that nature? Uh, but anyway, yeah, the, I don't
2: remember. I thought it was Jose the, Carioca.
0: No, it's not because the name of the that's signed on the postcard is actually the name of the person who guided Walt and his team on their trip.
1: Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. You know my favorite cute little thing in this short is is so early on when they're talking about Pedro's life, right? And they yeah. mention um they mention the things that he's taking in school and one of them is anatomy and there's a skeletal airplane, right? Yes, I like okay. it. They they play back to it later on with the lightning strikes because the lightning strikes and it's behind him and he gets lit up like an X-ray and you can see his skeleton. Yep. So I kind of like that they kind of you know played that end to end almost.
0: Yeah, it was it was a, it, it's a well done short, but I can understand the Chileans not thinking that it represents much of their culture.
1: Yeah, and Pedro is one of the more popular of the obscure characters. For sure.
0: Yeah, and it, it was released almost immediately as a storybook when the movie came out in America, uh, which was another reason why they wanted it out in America, is because there's definitely some merchandising potential off of uh, the film. So even if it didn't make money in the box office, it made money uh, out you know, in, in the Golden Book market.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, I kind of find uh, the. Um the connection to the three bears that they kind of sort of play off in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 is there any background to why they chose that, or that's just in front, obvious, and what it is?
0: It was, yeah, it's just what it is. It was already uh, part of the uh, part of the original outline for the PDO. so they just left it in there.
1: Oh, okay, that that makes more sense.
0: Yeah, from Latin America, you might recognize the. Yeah, uh, comic Condorito, which is a famous comic started by and I'm gonna mess this name up, um, Rene Rios Bediger.
2: Not by Condorman?
0: Uh, Not by Condor Man. <laughs> I don't know. But it might have inspired Condorman. We don't know. Uh, but Condorito is a is like one of the most famous um, comic characters in Chile, and it was started by this man because he thought that Pedro was such a poor representation of the Chilean culture that he wanted his own representation, and now there's a statue of Condorito in Santiago, Chile.
1: Yes, and his dog, Washington.
0: Yes. So, interesting effect that, that, that Pedro had on the Chilean culture. Yes. Alright, so, cool. the third piece is uh, El Gaucho Goofy. Uh, but before we, we find out about Goofy, which translates basically to the cowboy Goofy, the Argentinian cowboy Goofy. Before we see this, we see you know, the, the group go to the Argen, Argen, Argentine. I can say that. For some reason, I can't say Argentina. Yeah no.
1: yeah, no. Well, they, they go to Buenos Aires. You could just, that's yeah. easier to say.
0: Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and they, they witness a bunch of you know the culture and of, of the gauchos, the dancing and the music and that sort of thing. Uh, yes. Unfortunately, for the film, they witness it in Glendale as opposed to in Buenos Aires, because all of the shots of the <laughs> the party sketching and witnessing the gauchos and all that sort of stuff had to be recreated in Glendale at the studio
1: <laughs> really so so that 's interesting so. What happened to the film? It's just that the 16mm thing didn't work out right, or they didn't take pictures of the stuff that they wanted to talk about in the movie.
0: It, what? Pretty much the latter, yeah. It didn't have the pictures that they wanted. So some of the stuff, right, where you don't see Walt and his team in the picture, yeah, some, that stuff is real. And then they mix it with footage that they shot at uh. the studio.
1: Oh, because they're taking – because when they're on the trip, they're taking pictures as tourists, but nobody's taking pictures of them being tourists. That's what the problem is. Exactly. That just suddenly clicked with me.
0: Yeah. Wow. So uh, and I, by, by the way, in the documentary, and I use air quotes on that, South of the Border with Disney, they did the same thing. There's shots of them in a horse-drawn carriage going through uh, the streets, and it's a green screen. Wow: uh, Interesting. Yeah. Walt, Walt was never one to let, you know existing footage or any sort of limitation get in the way of a good show.
1: So so I liked at one point when they're having the barbecue, because I missed what they actually referred to it as something completely different, but it looked like a barbecue to me, so I wrote barbecue in my notes. It's basically what it was, yeah. <laughs> okay, so they're, they're doing dancing, right? And they're talking about the, that it's not the tango, but they're not specifically saying it, and so I wrote down, looks like square dancing, and like five seconds later they go, it looks just like square dancing. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's good, because the other thing is that during the trip, the reason why they wanted to make uh, something to do with the gauchos is during the time when they were in Buenos Aires, they had Walt dress up as a gaucho most of the time they were there. Yeah, and if you see if you see the documentary that came out, I think it was was it last year or a year before the Walt and El Grupo. I
1: was going to ask about that. How does that relate to all of this?
0: It basically chronicles the trip. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't touch much on the the films themselves and how it came out, but it talks about the trip themse- itself. It's very good if you get a chance to watch it. Very good. Recommended highly. But yeah, they, they have Walt um, dressed up as a gaucho many, many times on this trip. Interesting. Which is rather amusing in and of itself.
1: So one of the things that I really liked about this is – I'm. Gauchos are very interesting, you know, um, you know, the whole South of the Border cowboy thing, you know, because you have you know, in our culture we have Clint Eastwood and Humphrey Bogart was in some movies and stuff like that, so it's you know, it's Treasure of the Sierra Madre, right, for example, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is so gauchos are very, very interesting in our culture because we have kind of sort of romanticized them to the same way we romanticize like samurai.
0: Exactly, yeah. Right,
1: um, and so that's, that's kind of how I like to think of them, is, is gouchers are the samurai of the south.
0: I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, so the other thing about this one is um, one of the things that the, the CIAA, the coordinator of Inter-American Affairs, wanted Walt and his team to do, and they put a lot of publicity out about this, is they wanted them to use local artists in the creation of the shorts that they were going to produce. This didn't work out so well, Uh, and the one person that they ended up working with was a gentleman named F. Molina Campos, who was very famous for his gaucho paintings. Yes. I remember And they, Yeah, they, they brought him to Burbank to assist with this. On his own reconnaissance, he decided he was going to stay in Burbank for several months at his own expense because he wanted to make sure that disney fixed the film that they were making about the gauchos and there's a very funny story in one of the books i was reading about this movie where his first couple of days in in america he goes to a club nearby a dinner club because they had those back then and they start playing the music he stands up walks onto stage announces himself and says Hola, I am F. Molina Campos from the Argentine. With a flourish, and then walks off stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And no one had any idea who he was or why he was there. <laughs> but that gives you an idea of what Mr. Campos thought of himself uh, when when making this this film. So when the film itself, they say in in the credit in the opening credits, they say it's based on the paintings of F. Molina Campos. And they show him in the lead up to this, and that film stuff that you see of him leading into the sh- the cartoon itself was again all staged. Okay. And it, as it turns out, didn't really have much influence on the film.
1: <laughs> no, because those paintings didn't look anything like uh, Goofy as a coach. No. no. I like this because this, to me, is um, it, it's not. Perfect as a goofy short, but it's got everything that's generally speaking what we expect in a goofy short, which is Goofy being the narrator talking through things and Goofy demonstrating them semi poorly.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, which I, I, which I if you read the blog, you know these are my favorite shorts. All yeah, no, is Goofy the is shorts. great. Yes, it was really weird.
2: I just thought that.
0: Remember, that was the whole point. Right, is they use Goofy to show that the silly American can't handle all the stuff that the gaucho can to show that they're not making fun of the gauchos.
2: True, but they could have used Donald Dust as well, I'm just saying. It didn't have to be Goofy.
0: So the reason why they use Goofy, similar to Pedro, they already had a how to be a cowboy short. That was in production. It had already started. Ah. In the <laughs> ah.
1: Well, in, in fact, is that why in the very beginning they they go through the whole thing, uh, the thing with him, and they're playing deep in the heart of Texas
0: in the background? Yes. Okay. They had already started work on it, and they had this animation <laughs> of Goofy in Texas. And so then they just literally, like they do in the film, pick him up from Texas and drop him in uh, our, uh, Buenos Aires.
1: I kind of like that. I have a game on my iPhone where I can pick the little the little sim people up, and I can like drag them halfway around the world, and then drop them in the middle of a different situation. They kind of like look at me, like they get all scared, and then they kind of wander off into the new situation.
0: So I kind of <laughs> like that. But yeah, I mean, this is a classic how-to short, just like the Jack Kinney how-to shorts, you know, that you both, I'm I'm sure everyone has seen of Goofy where the narrator says, this is how you will become a gaucho, and Goofy does it spectacularly wrong.
1: Yes, only one thing was missing from this. Yes. Blueprints.
0: Yes, good point. (laughs) Good point. Uh, But, I mean, I love this one. My favorite gag in this one is the, um, so if you've seen, there's there's a way that the gauchos would eat, which is they would hold a piece of meat, sticking out of one end of their hand, and a piece of bread sticking out the other hand, and they would have a knife, and so they would, you know, take a bite of the, meat, cut it so they could chew it, flip, take a bite of the bread, cut it so they could chew it, and they do it very quickly, if you yes. see some of the, the footage of them, and of course Goofy ends up biting a knife.
1: Yes, and swallowing a piece of it, yes.
0: Yes. That was my favorite gag in the, in the I, film.
1: I like the um, them putting the saddle on the horse, because... Yes. Because he basically straps a mattress to the back of the horse, yes. and then and then they make the joke about sleeping, and the horse goes bedtime and flips over, and he uses the <laughs> and he uses the mattress instead. And I kind of just it's like that's very good. I just it's a really good gag because I I forgot it happens because this is of the like I said before of the two shorts I've seen Pedro a ton and I've seen um, the Aquilaria but portions of it never the whole thing like that. I don't generally see it. Usually it's like you know these four minutes and these four minutes. And I don't see this one as much for some reason, because usually I'm watching Goofy do any number of other things, like play baseball and stuff like that. So and I, I kind of like it because I forgot about it, and so it's kind of mm-hmm. nice when you see it again. So,
0: Yeah, I think as a standalone Goofy short, it's really good. It's also the one that um, got the best reception from the native country. I mean, the the Argentinian people really love this one, because it is packed, packed of detail about the gauchos, their lifestyle, and all the different things that they do, but it's presented in such a way that, you know, even us as Americans, you don't have to be concerned with all of that. You can just watch it and enjoy it.
1: Yes. Do they really hunt ostrich with bolas? I, I didn't read that much into the whole thing, but I, it was, they the, do. the ostrich hunting was interesting.
0: Well, so the ostrich was, in, was intended originally to be a recurring character in some of the uh, Argentinian films, so they were going to make more uh that's why you might see the ostrich a little more detailed than your normal you know throwaway protagonist but okay. they never actually pursued it
1: yeah i kind of like that they started it like almost like a fantasia ostrich and then they kind of like cut the pieces off to it and went back to this other type of ostrich i kind of that's a clever way to handle it um i but i like that that it happens and he captures the thing successfully and he's on top and then they redo it in slow motion and he completely botches it up
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: of course. Well, it had a different outcome. I mean, usually, you know, when things rewind and play back, they have the same outcome. But no, 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 no. This is a goofy show where things don't work that way.
0: No. Not at all. All right. So the last piece of the film uh, deals with Brazil, and it's uh, set to the tune of a, a song called Aquarela do Brasil, or Watercolor of Brazil. And uh, the story behind this is this is – this is the one piece of this film that actually – was meant to play with music. So when they went down to South America, they, Walt and his team were trying to buy the rights to different songs so that they could then use them as subjects for a Fantasia-style piece of, piece of film. And this song, Aquarela do Brasil, was like almost the unofficial national anthem in Brazil. Like It was so popular that people couldn't get enough of it. And in fact, when the film came out, they, again, one of those you know, lucky happenstance things there was this huge dispute with ascap in in 1940 and they ascap is the are the folks who license music to radio stations and other places so this alternate company bmi came up and started licensing all this music from south america to play on popular radio in america and one of the biggest hits was aquarela do brazil completely by accident so by the time this came out, it was the the song itself was a huge hit in America, and like people were reporting it left and right. Popular music artists.
1: Oh, so this is so it, that's a, the draw is uh, multicultural, is what I'm getting from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the Americans like loved the song, and in Brazil, forget about it. I mean, it was it was the biggest song of, of that decade.
1: I have an interesting question. So when when they draw the character initially, right, before they put his clothes on him, they call him Joe Carioca? Yes. But then suddenly he's Jose, and he's always been Jose. Yes. So there's no reason for that? Just they decided, hey, we should probably make it Jose because that's more Brazilian?
0: Well, it's the same thing. The English translation of Jose is Joe. I guess. But but that's why, like, so it, it, in casual conversation, right, they would have referred to, a, a Brazilian person would have referred to him as, or, or if they were talking to an American, they might have called him Joe Carioca, because um, he's referred to in all the, in all the, like, backup sketches and documents and things uh, as Joe. Yes. But the Brazili- some of the Brazilians refer to him as Jose. So it's, it's kind of a six of one, half dozen the other sort of situation.
1: Right. Now, uh, his last name is interesting cuz uh it's actually the Portuguese uh word for native. Right. right. Like so so basically they're saying, you know, Joe native, Joe, you know, on the road, on the street, that kind of thing. That's what that's what his name actually yeah. means.
0: He's supposed to be just an average Brazilian because his role in the film is to take Donald and show him Brazil. That's the whole idea, right? Is we we get introduced to this watercolor of Brazil, and then Jose Carioca is going to take Donald around and show him life in Brazil.
2: Can I give a modern equivalent of this? Sure. sure. Jose Carioca finds Donald, takes him into Cava. That's what I've got.
1: <laughs> I like it. He's actually pretty close.
0: <laughs> he is. Yeah. Well, what's interesting... So you were talking... We were saying earlier about how it's almost two separate pieces because the opening, like, there's no Donald in the opening part, right? Because it was meant to be a more Fantasia-style sort of thing. And that's where, like, Mary Blair comes in. If you know your Disney artist history, Mary Blair is the person who designed all the Small World dolls and the exterior and everything. Well, she wasn't actually working for the studio. She had quit the studio to focus on her own art. And when her husband got picked to go on this group to Brazil and, and the South American tour, she begged Walt to rehire her so that she could go on the trip, and she did. And the, her background paintings are what kind of opened this part of the movie. But because Mary Blair went on this trip, you know, then she was back at the studio. Um, you'll see a ton of her stuff in Three Caballeros, but... Then she was able to do all the stuff for Alice in Wonderland and all the other films, you know, that she contributed to as well as the stuff in the parks from that point forward. But the film opens with, with her stuff and some, you know, just general Fantasia-esque stuff of uh, scenes being painted and flowers and, you know, parrots and all that it's very abstract sort of ideas going to the song.
1: Yes, uh, it 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 reminded me of um, – it, it was very – this is – her stuff in this is um, – the transitions at least, which I don't know if she came up with or if somebody just took her pictures and worked them between the two things. Yeah, I'm but, not sure. But they're very, they remind me of Salvador Dali almost, right? Which I know had a mm-hmm. studio connection. But, um, because you see, um, the pictures evolve, right? Like the flora becomes fauna, right? In various yep. places, right? And like you, you have, and then you have like Samba ink flamingos, which I thought was clever, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then I wrote down that you have two cans that, that were bananas, and then they, they're, they're, the bananas become the beaks of the two cans, right? Yep. And then you have a um, they draw a palm tree, and then the bird, the top of the leaves on the palm tree, become the tail of a bird that then flies off, right? You know, so it's it, it like you said, it's it, it's abstract and it's got that feel to it. And I'm just wondering if there was an even earlier involvement that's unmentioned. I
0: mean, most of the stuff was done by the effects animators. So Josh Metter is one of the ones. Um, he he did he did all the paintbrush stuff. Okay. so when the paintbrush comes in and is painted, I don't know if it was like you said influenced by Mary Blair's paintings or not. I would imagine so, but I don't know for sure.
1: Okay. That's fair. I mean she might have very well painted more than just backgrounds. I mean that wasn't all she did. She did do animal work and stuff like that. So yep. it's entirely Absolutely. possible she
0: had, that both were there. Um,
1: I, I, and, then, and then I like how the flower just kind of like spits Donald out.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, the flower spits Donald out, and all of a sudden we're in a completely different sort of short because Donald's there, and the paintbrush comes in, and we mentioned paints Jose Carioca, and Jose takes him – down the stairs to the club, like like Cheryl said, where he gets to drink some fire water and then they go dancing.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that was very interesting. Um, you don't often see um, Disney characters drinking alcohol. Often, no. Right. No. So uh, and especially the the Fab Four, you usually never do, or Fab Five, right? Right. So it's not like when Gaston drinks a beer. I mean, okay, so that's Gaston with a beer. Well, Gaston's a jerk, so he can have a beer, you know. But this, this this is Donald Duck, and despite how despite how you know mean and despicable Donald can be, Donald drinking is still odd.
0: Yes, and it's it's interesting. I mean, they did a very good job of capturing Brazil. So, like in the live action sequences beforehand, we see the you, know, you mentioned earlier the wavy streets. Yep, the way the tile is laid with the white and black kind of. Up and down waves through the street, and they capture that in the film. the The club that they go to is actually a club that Walt and his folks were entertained at. The Copacabana Hotel is where Walt and his team stayed when they were there, or at least the you know Walt did. Some of the others stayed in a less classy hotel down yeah, the street. Yeah,
1: they, they, they mentioned the Copacabana, the Atlantico, and the Urca, and I believe the only one that still exists is the Copacabana, right? I don't think the other yeah, two uh, still exist anymore.
0: And the Urca was where their welcoming party was the first night they went to Brazil.
1: Oh, interesting that's in the book I take it. yeah okay, yes it is. cool and uh, I, I kind of like it so one of the things is if you're familiar with um, the current ride right at, Dis- at, uh, at Epcot in the Mexico pavilion the um, there's a there's a bit with Donald in the ride uh, with the um, the cantina lady you know with the wearing the pineapple on her head and stuff like that that's coming from this scene yes right that's it's important to know that that's just that's how you know dis Disney is very good at paying you know when they take characters from something and and do an homage like the ride is okay yep. they they take they take reflections of the source material and reflect it into the ride and that's an example
0: yes absolutely. And there's, there's – uh, I've read some stuff about this where people say, oh, well, Carmen Miranda was a, uh, a technical advisor on the film, and that must have been paying homage to her. No, she – so Carmen Miranda was hired as a technical advisor on the film, uh, but she was hired, at least according to the research I can find, after the film was completed for publicity's sake.
1: Right, that's what I—that's what I was led to understand too. Is she toured with the movie, not to answer questions about the movie, not the not as part of the creation of the movie.
0: Right. Yeah. But they wanted to put it out there in the press materials, like, "Oh, Carmen Miranda helped with this movie because she was at that point becoming a star in the United States as well." Yes. But like Cheryl said, it just ends. They—you see the shots of the club, the Urca, and then it's over.
1: Yeah, it, it's kind of, sort of. It, it's very sad. I, I, I know it's not all oh, that sad. I mean, so we come back to the characters, which is good, and we'll do that in a later podcast. But um, it's it just it's abrupt. I agree with Cheryl. It just they're like one second they're having fun and partying down, and then boom, the end. Get
2: out. Yeah. Well, it's not your typical. I think for me, it's not your typical. Um, sh- not even short. I mean. Like, even, I mean, like, even the Chiminelle stuff, I understand, really has no real ending, you know, resolution or anything like that. But there is kind of, kind of, like, the end. And there wasn't even that here. Well, <laughs>
1: right? there's they there's not. They didn't, they didn't wrap it up. That's a, they didn't wrap up either thing, right? They didn't wrap up the live-action stuff, and they didn't la- wrap up the animated stuff.
0: Yeah, they never... they. Never, exactly. They don't Like, the whole thing starts with, we're taking this tour, and they never say, even just a little piece of, "Hey, we made it, I got the United States, and we made these wonderful films for you. Like, none of that. Just, it's over. <laughs> but they were under intense pressure to get this done and get it out. You know, the government had basically given them a lot of money to, to do this, and they, they were racing against time, as you might be able to tell by the fact that they used things they already had and that sort of thing, so... so. It was. They were under very intense pressure to get this done, and I think you can tell when you watch why, it. Why
1: is it only 42 minutes long? I mean, because I thought that 42 minutes meant it wasn't a feature, but it's referred to as a feature.
0: Uh, I think that was as much as they could – I mean, they had – so the original contract was the group one of the shorts. They were supposed to do 12. The first group of them was these four. They finished these four, turned them in, and – it's not really clear, based on what I can read, why they ended up making it a feature necessarily, except for except for um, you know it was going to make more money and get better billing that way. So they knew they had to make it a feature film because they were under under the gun and they had to you know hit the hit the release dates. But they they figured out quickly that they could cobble together 14 minutes of footage from what they had shot in 16 millimeter and and make the release date. So it was one of those cases where you're working to hit a release date and as we see a lot of times in movies these days okay
1: that's fine no i just thought there was like a minimum requirement bef- before something became a feature but i thought it was i thought it was 60 minutes right like didn't we have this conversation with dumbo where dumbo's a certain length because had it had been yes. like three minutes shorter it wouldn't be a feature
0: let's go back to the nelson rockefeller own stock in rko pictures discussion
1: oh nelson rockefeller okay yes yes almost bankrupt the state of new york sorry
0: yeah he uh he, he put a lot of pressure on rko to put this one out
1: honestly that's a perfect answer for me so i'm good,
2: <laughs> good, good. My, my other conspiracy theory is that maybe someone from hitchhikers tra- time traveled and got them that that number
1: this movie must be 42 whoa. minutes long
0: whoa so are you saying, Cheryl, that this movie contains the answer to life, the universe, and everything? Possibly. You never know.
1: The Samba.
0: <laughs> All right, so I hesitate to call it a film, but let's rate this uh, short 42-minute subject uh, on, on a scale of to five. Cheryl, what would you think?
2: Uh, okay, I, w- I have two different ratings. Fair. Okay? Stick with me, folks. My overall rating is a two. But before you all yell at me, I'm sure you're all yelling at your computers. Cheryl gave us a two. What? Um, For the Disney part of it and for the history part of it, I give it a five. But it doesn't have continuity in between. The narrator enough is not doing enough to piece it together to be a whole.
0: All right, Todd, what do you think?
2: I agree. So I, I, I
1: think the animated shorts are actually the strong point in the movie, and everything else is just glue that didn't set. And I think that actually detracts from the overall rating. Like, Cheryl, if, if I was rating the shorts, I would be rating the shorts themselves higher, but we're not rating the shorts. We're rating the movie as a whole. And I have to say, well, the concept would be a three. I think the execution brings it down to a two and a half.
0: I, I, I'm completely with you guys on this one as a movie, this this is like a two, because it's entertaining enough to watch, um, but there's nothing that drags, there's nothing that pulls you through the movie. Um, I have this same problem watching some of the True Life Adventure shorts. Like I, I, Little pieces of those are entertaining, but as a whole, not so much. And that's the way I feel about Saludos Amigos. Even though, like Cheryl said, from a Disney history standpoint, this is a must-see. You've got to watch it. You've got you've to see where a lot of these things came from and everything, but to to simply sit and, and sit down and watch it is not exactly the most enjoyable experience. Especially when you realize that a lot of the footage you're seeing was filmed in Burbank and not you know, not in South America.
1: Recreations always seem like recreations.
0: A- agreed, yes.
1: Right. A- except in Secretariat, which is amazing because they went through a lot of effort to make it not seem like a recreation. So it, you know, it's but this it it feels fake, and so it's not surprising that it feels fake.
0: Agreed. Alright, so that's video for this week's show. I uh, we hope you enjoyed our look at Saludos Amigos. Let us know what you think. Go to Facebook and Facebook.com and search for Disney Film Project there. You can find us on Twitter at DisneyFilmProject or go to the website, DisneyFilmProject.com and you'll see uh, the post for this show, you'll see Breeze Review, you'll see all kinds of great stuff. And if you search the archives, you'll see all kinds of stuff about Saludos Amigos and the Good Neighbor program and all that good stuff. Uh, And make sure when you go to those places, you leave us a note of films you'd like to see us review. We'll have a uh, Listener's Choice program coming up in November or later this year. Uh, So make sure you leave us a note, and we will uh, pick one of those, and maybe we'll do a poll. You don't know. We're crazy. All right, So until next week. Goodbye, folks.
2: The traveler should be cautioned against any reckless behavior at this high altitude. Overexertion is dangerous, and above all, one should never lose one's temper.
0: Yes, a llama can make you feel awfully unimportant.
1: The papa plane, the mama plane, and little Pedro flew happily ever after.